Hello, everyone, and welcome back to V Brown Bag US uh, on this fine Wednesday night. Uh, a few show notes before we get started. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, we're at V Brown Bag or at V Brown Bag Latam or at V Brown Bag EMEA, depending on what part of the world you're you're coming to us from. If you have any questions or you just want to mention us on Twitter, feel free to use hashtag VBrownBag. Um, make sure you check out our other shows. We have one in the APAC region every other Thursday at 9 p.m. NZST. And I've actually got a whole Cisco ACI series going on that one right now. Um, the EMEA broadcasts are, are Tuesdays, 7 p.m. BST. Latin America, Thursdays, 7 p.m. Pacific. And, of course, the U.S., Wednesdays, 7.30 Central. So tonight our guest is the one and only Andy ba Andy Banta at Andy Banta on Twitter, and uh, I'm your host tonight, Lauren Malhoy at Malhoy on Twitter. Andy, thanks so much for joining us. I'm gonna pass it on to you, and at the same time, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, thanks, Lauren. Awesome. Looking forward to doing this. Yeah, I'm looking forward to watching. So yeah, take it away. You should have the uh, the presenter stick now. I do. And so I'm going to give just a quick technical overview of vSphere uh, virtual volumes tonight. I uh, want to thank Rollins and Rivera and Cormac Hogan. Uh, they gave me permission to steer, steal an awful lot of their uh, slide content to put this together. So uh, if you've seen any of this before, you probably saw it from one of them. Uh, this is me. Uh, I'm currently a storage editor at SolidFire, uh, working with Tech Solutions Group, and uh, in previous life I was at VMware uh, doing ISPC stuff. Um, as Lauren mentioned, my Twitter handle is at Andy Banta. So I uh, wanted to get into some of the general ideas of why VBALS came about. Uh, previously, I were in, in this in this case, it's today's infrastructure. Uh, the idea is that you would have a storage administrator that would set aside uh, uh, volume or, or runs on your storage array, and uh, all the services would be tied to that storage array, and uh, the, the management of the storage array was very vendor specific. Uh, the goal that VMware was trying to come up with with VVOLs was to uh, allow the Consumer of the storage to have more control over it. Over it. So, wanted the consumer of the storage to be able to carve it up as they wanted, uh, have better control over like quality of service and uh, the abilities that were associated with it, like uh, encryption, um, uh, deduplication, that type of thing. And they wanted the uh, management of this to all be consistent, no matter what the storage vendor was. So, uh, the idea was to um, Allow the the app person, the app consumer, to uh, put things there quickly, uh, not waste a lot of resources, uh, have uh, the the QoS and, and capability aspects handled managed uh, automatically, and uh, make it fairly simple to actually make the changes. So VMware started talking to some storage vendors and <clears throat> came up with this idea of how can we do this. Uh, they, they wanted some ways that a storage vendor could actually know what a virtual disk looked like on the storage. Uh, right now with VMFS, the storage 
uh, VM is represented by VMDKs and a handful of other files that are actually hidden inside of VMFS. Uh, VMFS is created by vSphere and the storage vendors really don't have any visibility into what's inside of VMFS or how to manage anything in it. Uh, the other problem that you run into with this is that you have to set up all of your storage capabilities at the BMFS level. There's not any way to actually, uh, you know, come up with individual uh, ideas or individual capabilities or, or uh, um, like QoS and whatever for the individual VMs. You have to do it at data store level. Uh, it added the concept of uh, a storage policy-based management. This actually is a way that vSphere communicates with the storage array to come up with the capabilities or, or align the requirements of the VM with the capabilities of the storage array. Uh, they also want to make sure that they weren't coming up with a completely different storage protocol. Uh, they, they largely succeeded in that. It works with, uh, with iSCSI or FCE or NFS currently. Uh, it actually is fairly heavyweight still, even though it's using the underlying protocols to do what it needs to do. But the, the, the idea was that if it was a completely new storage protocol, uh, you would potentially break some of the capabilities that other storage vendors already had, and nobody wants to go out and spend the qualification effort to go to use a completely new storage protocol. Uh, and VMware made sure that they actually had buy-in from all the major storage vendors. And as of vSphere 6, it is actually included in vSphere. So here's a, a top-level architecture view. Uh, we'll start in the upper left-hand corner where you have a vSphere administrator who decides what type of policies uh, they want for a VM and assigns those different policies to various different VMs. Uh, the vSphere, the virtual items or vVols, will uh, We'll take a look at what is, what's available uh, in terms of capabilities from the storage uh, system uh, and make sure that those VMs actually get the policies that they need and they'll actually get put into a virtual data store on the storage system. Uh, the aligning the capabilities, creating the VMs, uh, all the management of the VMs actually happens in the control path that's way over on the right side of the screen and uh, goes through what's called a boss provider. I'll get into more details there. And the, the boss provider tells the storage system, hey, here's the vballs we need, and the storage system is actually going to create the vballs individually for that VM. So uh, from the storage admin side, they have the ability to uh, decide what capacity is going to be available for vballs. Uh, what the access methods are, and then basically what the published capabilities are for um, snapshot notification, QoS, et cetera. So I'm going to cover some what some of the objects are for vVols during this talk. Uh, basically, the, the objects of vVols come up with are virtual volumes, storage containers, protocol endpoints, and uh, the boss provider. It's the VMware's uh, very long name that shrinks down to the boss provider. You never actually need to know that name again. And some of the concepts associated with vVols, uh, the outer band management, how the bindings work, uh, what the policy-based management is, and then getting into a few of the VMware uh, vVol capabilities. So I came up with this analogy of uh, kind of thinking of vVols like ordering stuff off Amazon. So the idea of a vVol is it's going to be a virtual or a virtual volume you need for something, for a VM, 
for whatever. It's it's just stuff. It's it's you go out and you say, hey, I want a V-ball. It's kind of like going to, on Amazon and saying, hey, I want a pink fuzzy vest. So there are various different types of virtual volumes. Uh, right now, VMware has defined five of them. There's a config V-ball, which holds what you normally see if you've gone in and browsed a, a data store, looked at a VM. There's things like .vmx files and log files and NVVM files, the stuff that you need to actually define what the VM is. And then there's the data VM, the data VVALs. That's actually the VM decays that are associated with it. Um, if you actually create uh, snapshots of VM decays, those are also data VVALs. Uh, then there's the, the MEM uh, VVALs, and those are actually memory snapshots. So uh, if you either suspend a VM or if uh, you take a snapshot of a running VM, the MEM VVAL will be where the memory image is for that snapshot. And then uh, just like you have on the current vSphere, there's actually a swap um, a, a swap VVAL was created that you would normally see as the .swp file on vSphere today, which is the, the swap file for that VM, that, uh, VMware we use to uh, push out contents of memory if it actually becomes starved for memory. So. Andy, uh, a, a quick question there. Yes. So yes. are those different types of virtual volumes, uh, are they actually different? I mean, are they optimized for those specific things? Or is a config, config VVOL just something that contains those files? So uh, I'll, I'll get into a little bit of the implementation here. So a, a config VVOL actually has a little tiny file system on it, so it can contain multiple files. If you go browse it like it's in a data store, you'll actually see the individual files. So config vvol actually is is a little tiny file system itself. It's always four gigs, so it's not like there's a whole lot of stuff stored in it. The uh, data vm or data vvols are the ones that you can actually set do the most tuning on in terms of what you want your uh, for vvols or or other capabilities. Uh, the mem and the swap don't typically have a whole lot of uh, tunables on what you can do. Uh, they would additional ways of, of telling the storage, hey, I need this fixed size of evil for this purpose. And in the case of like a memory snapshot, you are pretty much pretty sure that it will be written once contiguously and read one or more times contiguously. And the swap is just going to be a memory image and that it will be written pretty randomly. I think I think they separated out mem and swap just to give the storage vendors a hint of what's going on. But uh, that, those are the only reasons why they're, they're separated out that way. And uh, while they specify in other vendor-specific, I really don't know if anybody who has other uh, defaults. Gotcha. Awesome. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Uh, so defaults uh, also, also introduces the concept of a storage container. And a storage container is actually where all the stuff lives. So in my Amazon ordering model, the, uh, a storage container would be like your house. And uh, all the VVOLs that you order up end up in your house somewhere. Uh, and they, they represent pieces of VMs. So you know it, it's not the best graphic, but here you are with your storage container with the VMs occupying it. Uh, the idea of a storage container is that it's a, a logical grouping of uh, of the virtual volumes that you want to be associated together, uh, to store the 
storage containers are actually created by a storage administrator, and the storage administrator will set up what the physical capacity of the storage is. Like in SolidFire's case, the physical the capacity of a, a storage container is actually the same as the capacity of the array. Um, it's it's a way to actually separate out the VMs that might need, might have certain storage needs requirements, uh, and the storage ways have to actually specify at least one storage container, and the maximum depends on the array. I'll, and I'll get into why storage containers are there in a little bit more in future slides. So uh, the difference between a storage container and a LUN is uh, the storage container is based on the size of the array capacity. Um, storage containers aren't necessarily fixed size. Certainly, certain vendors might have them fixed size, but they there's something that can be uh, you know configured in any way that the storage vendor wants. Uh, and there are ways of, of actually grouping VMs or virtual volumes that have certain homework uh, use capabilities that you want to be able to play with. Uh, and for, in SolidFire, it's simply an attribute of the Vvolve. Uh, compare this to the typical LUN that you get with typical box storage, which is fixed. Uh, a fixed size, uh, you need to put a VM FS on it unless you're actually doing something like uh, directly mapping it to a VM, which I wasn't going to get into a whole lot. Uh, you can only, uh, all the VMs in that VMFS uh, uh, actually have all of the same capabilities. There's not, no way to separate them out. And the, um, the, the LUN itself is actually managed entirely in band, whereas the storage containers are managed out of band. So uh, the reason that we actually have a storage container concept with VBALS is to allow the different administrators to have different views of what's going on. So a storage container is set up by your storage admin. Uh, it would be just a, a logical collection of what's available on that storage array. You could have more than one, obviously. And uh, what it appears to for a VM administrator is a data store. And that's, uh, VMware did this because there's an awful lot of things in vSphere that count on being able to do things at a data store level. Uh, setting up things like storage, IOC, uh, being able to do replication, um, being able to, to group things together in a certain way. And uh, I'll just mention that with SolidFire is creating uh, storage containers, they're actually uh, um, tied to an account, so you can actually use it as if you're a multi-tenant customer, you can actually use the storage container to uh, identify your tenants. Uh, here's a, a comparison of what the two views would be. Uh, so on the left side, we actually have what a vSphere admin would see with the various different uh, components of, of the um, inside uh, storage container. And it looks just the same as it does now in uh, Currently, with vSphere, where if you go in and you do the data browser, it will show you the VMDKs, it will show you the config files, show you everything else. If you take a look at the storage admin view on the right side, you'll see that it's uh, the VVOLs are actually individual items and can be managed that way. So the storage admin has the, the ability to go in and uh, tweak the, the QoS on any one of these, uh, you know, enable them or disable them. And so just a couple questions that typically come up 
around this time is, uh, are they required to be beer, beer, beer fixed? And the answer is no, they're not required. You can certainly use BMFS just like you always have. And in fact, since BVOLF actually requires being able to talk to the vCenter, uh, if you run a virtualized vCenter, you, you can't actually have your vCenter on VVOLs. You actually need to have your vCenter on a BMFS to allow it to uh, actually configure the VVOLs for other consumers. Um, how does this help with performance and capacity management? Well, uh, it helps a couple different ways. It allows the storage administrator to actually set up uh, different performance capability, different performance specs for each VVOL. And it also means that you don't actually need to carve out a big uh, lung litter for your VMFS that might actually end up with wasted space. The VVOLs are actually carved out individually when they're created. And uh, your, your storage array should be smart enough to not actually consume any more space than just that VVOL needs when it's created. And do I lose anything with virtual volumes? Uh, as I mentioned, uh, you end up with needing a few applications that actually need to stay in the MFS currently uh, just give the out-of-band management. So uh, you, you lose the ability to have completely in-band management with uh, with these devolves. So does, does it matter what the underlying storage is? Could it be a vSAN even? Um, that's a, a question for VMware. I believe that there's actually a concept of, of using VBOLs on top of vSAN, but that's specific. That's very specifically a VMware question. Uh, this VBOLs was actually created as a way to, for VMware to do more stuff, partner with um, with storage vendors a little bit more. And since VMware is now their own storage vendor as well, it's I, I'm sure that there's some sort of Way that you can actually use VVOLs with VSAN, but it's it's not something that outside storage vendors are going to have a whole lot of visibility into right now. I don't I I haven't I don't know of any announcements that have been made about that. Uh, uh, people from VMware might. Sure, that that makes sense. Okay, so now to to dig into the underpinnings of this a little bit. So uh, going continuing with the Amazon analogy. Uh, protocol endpoints is actually how you get your stuff. So a protocol endpoint is, uh, it, it, if you take the name literally, it, it's the point on storage where your where vSphere will connect to it. So it would be an iSCSI target or a fiber channel target or an NFS mount point. And this is how, how vVols are presented to vSphere. So the idea here is that you can have all sorts of vVols and they all end up going through one protocol endpoint. Different than the concept of uh, of one VMFS that actually goes through a target or um, or LUN or NFS mount currently. So uh, the protocol endpoints allow uh, access between ESX hosts and the storage arrays. Uh, they'll be they'll be something that will be visible on your storage fabric. So uh, you know you'll be able to go out and uh, like with ISSI, if you do a send target, it will actually show a protocol endpoint. Um, they're created by storage administrators, and uh, by storage administrators, this, this could also mean that it's created by a storage system. So in SolidFire's case, the storage administrator actually doesn't need to go out and create new protocol endpoints. Uh, the storage system actually will figure out how many protocol endpoints are needed and create them. Um, 
the, the protocol endpoints were a way of maintaining uh, using the same storage protocols as we currently do. So all of the uh, the storage protocols that currently work with vSphere uh, will will work with uh, vVols and protocol endpoints as well. And uh, I think I touched on this a little bit earlier. One of the advantages of this is that if storage vendors had built any of their secret sauce into how the storage protocols work, uh, they haven't lost any of that. So any of the multi-packing policies and, and practices that you currently have with ESX and a storage vendor should also work even with vVault. <coughs> so, pardon me. Uh, there's a, a couple different ways today of, of how you actually contact your storage. Either there's NFS uh, mount points or IP um, uh, targets that you would connect to uh, for fiber channel or OSCSI. Uh, and today, a data store actually represents a couple different things. So a tar uh, data store represents the target or mount point where your VMFS or, or in NFS case, your, your NFS file system lives. And it also sets up what's a, a sensitive equivalent of a storage container with VVOL. So it, it sets aside the data store or the mount point. And when you go in and look at, at this through vSphere, it will show the data store, which also is tied to that endpoint. Uh, the, the difference between protocol and um, the difference with vVols is that uh, the P's no longer have any way of storing anything with them. Actually, if you scan a PE and fiber channel or ISCSI, it'll show up as uh, either a zero length or a one block length file system. There's that, you can't actually store anything on it. A big advantage of this is that you won't need as many data stores as you have currently. I know that lots of people right now have to go out and create loads of uh, you know new data stores every time something expands or you have to carve out a new run, you have to create a VMFS on it, you have to create a new uh, data store on it. Um, it's uh, and one of the reasons people also create lots of data stores is that it, with VMFS you end up with intention of the with the VMs that are in that data store. And lots of times you need to actually separate things out so you don't have too many VMs in a single data store to get rid of the VMFS contention. So the, the way the protocol endpoint is discovered is largely the same way that you actually did go out and discover new data stores now. Once the uh, protocol endpoints have been, once VBALS has been enabled in the storage system and the administrator has created the protocol endpoints, Simply doing a SCSI scan will show up your protocol endpoints. Uh, and if it's NFS, it's going to be very similar to the way that you mount NFS today, where you give it an address and a mount point, and it will find the protocol endpoint. So the final piece of, uh, of VBALS is actually the VASA provider. And the VASA provider is the out of band management of how you create uh, VBALS. So it's kind of like the order page that you currently use with Amazon, where you go in and you tell it, hey, I want to you know, get this type of VVOL. I, I want to create a VM as three VMDKs and this QoS and uh, these other policies. The VAS provider uh, sits outside of the data path. Data path would go through a protocol endpoint, where the control path would actually go through a VAS provider. Uh, the control path is currently it is limited to being uh, through IP, TCP IP, uh, and run through the management network at our uh, 
similar to the way the vCenter talks to ESF hosts. Uh, the, the BOSIC providers are something that are, are actually created by the storage array vendors. Uh, they, both ESX and vCenter talk to these BOSIC providers. vCenter will contact them to just find out what the basic capabilities are. And then once ESX is actually talking to storage on the array, it will contact the BOSIC provider itself. Uh, the BOSIC provider actually is bi-directional, so it, it's the way that vSphere and vCenter get the capabilities that are available with the storage. Uh, and uh, you can have a single BOSIC provider that can handle multiple arrays. Uh, again, I'll, I'll mention the way the provider handles this is uh, we have a single BOSS provider that works for a cluster. Uh, so if you have multiple solid fire clusters, you'll have multiple BOSS providers working on them. Uh, and the whole idea of the BOSS providers is that it's, uh, it's a way of actually handling the uh, BOSS API request that ESX is documented in, in 10 hours. And the the bus provider is responsible for like creating and deleting virtual volumes as well as creating snapshots, creating clones, that type of thing. So uh, getting into some of the concepts now, um, since we have uh, ESX on one side or vSphere on one side and we have a handful of protocol endpoints on the other, there needs to be some way of actually making these you know, connect for each other to un so you can actually see certain defaults through certain protocol endpoints. So that would be kind of like the, um, the distribution facility at uh, your your Amazon warehouse or whoever's warehouse, where it decides which defaults actually are going to end up on which trucks. So the idea behind bindings is uh, the that DFS will say, "Hey, I want to be able to access this certain virtual volume," and the um, the storage system is going to take that request, uh, attempt to identify that virtual volume, and tell vSphere, here's how you get to that. So the various different steps that are available would be a, a bind, which would be vSphere saying, hey, I want to be able to talk to storage. An unbind, which says, I'm, not, I'm no longer interested in talking to storage. You can you know, hide it from me if you want. And a rebind, which would be a request typically from the boss provider side up to ESX saying, hey, it would really be best if you tried to bind to a different protocol endpoint. So the basic idea is that ESX will send a request for a particular virtual volume, and the boss, uh, the storage rate through the boss provider will actually return information that says, hey, this is the protocol endpoint that you're going to use to get that virtual volume. And here's the secondary ID that's used to actually identify it once you get to it. So when ESX talks to that protocol endpoint, it's going to pass along the secondary ID of that VVOL, and the storage array will, will know that vSphere is looking for that VVOL that, that was provided that binding. And uh, the bindings, again, work on all of the protocol and uh, various different storage protocols. Uh, and uh, similarly, vSphere will issue an unbind request at the end when, it's no, when it no longer needs the, uh, the default. Uh, it wouldn't necessarily be when 
the VM was destroyed, but it could also just be when the VM is powered off. There's no need to have a binding to a, a VM that it doesn't need access to anymore. And there we've got the neat little animated arrows. So the way the binary reflect actually works in the step by step is uh, you have your uh, your vSphere connected to a, a protocol endpoint, and uh, you'll issue a bind request to the BOSM provider. And the BOSM provider will do two things. It will return two things. It will return the PE, uh, so vSphere knows which PE to, to send commands to, and it's going to return the secondary ID. So the secondary ID is actually uh, what's called a subsidiary LUN ID. In, uh, in block protocols, uh, in in NFS, it's actually probably just a file name. Um, I I am sorry, I'm not as well versed on NFS peoples, uh, and there you are, secondary one ID. Uh, so you can actually end up with a, a many to many relationship between uh, repos and PEs. So you, you can have multiple vSphere hosts that can actually contact the same vBall. And they don't have to be going through the same PE, although they can be. And actually, in a refined case, you'll end up in a situation where vSphere has a binding to a vVault through one PE, and it will ask the storage, hey, I'd like to bind to a different PE. It will maintain that binding until, uh, until the storage array returns, hey, here's a new binding for you to use. It will make sure the new binding works. So in that case, vSphere will actually have two bindings to the same default through two PEs before it unbinds the first default or unbinds the first. It unbinds the default through the first PE. Uh, I, I know it's a uh, it's a little bit hard to imagine, but uh, this is the way that vSphere actually makes sure that it has connections to its defaults. And uh, so the, the way that we actually go on find storage containers, um, a storage admin on the storage array will set up a storage container um, or more than one. Certain capabilities will be assigned to that storage container. Uh, once storage container is found, you'll tell vCenter, uh, I have a VOS provider here that knows about storage containers. And it will go identify the storage containers. And uh, here we are. The storage containers will be created. Um, the capabilities of those storage containers will be associated with them. Uh, Boss and provider will communicate this back to vCenter, and then the storage admin or the vSphere admin will actually create the VMs. So here's a quick overview of how to actually provision VMs. Uh, the vSphere admin will create VMs, uh, assign a VM policy to it, uh, and uh, a suitable storage container data store will be assigned. Uh, so here's here's a little bit more detail on how you do it. So uh, you actually have a storage array with storage containers that are capable of creating virtual volumes. Uh, the storage will present the capabilities of that storage container to the VOSM provider. Um, the bus provider will tell vCenter what the storage capabilities are uh, and present those as storage policies. Um, the the vSphere admin, and in this case the user, will effect, uh, uh, 
choose which stores they are interested in using. Uh, a virtual volume will get created through the VASA provider uh, for that particular storage, um, or actually a handful of virtual volumes for those VMs or VM or VMs will get created. Um, virtual disks will get created and uh, make sure that they align with storage policy that you want. <clears throat> and then the, um, the both administrators, vSphere and storage administrators, can make sure that the policies and capabilities are in compliance. So storage capabilities are actually things that are presented by the storage array. Uh, samples that are shown here on the right side would be uh, like snapshot replication and, and various different QoS capabilities. Um, they can be offered as depending on what your VM requires. Uh, as I mentioned, they're actually advertised through VASA. And then the VM storage policies are pieces that are that are assigned to the VMs. And so a VM will say, hey, I need this storage policy, and uh, the, the storage-based policy management will go find appropriate uh, storage containers and storage for those capabilities. Uh, so now we actually get into storage policy-based management. Um, we talked about array capabilities. So uh, the array capabilities are things that the array can do. Uh, you know, as I mentioned, the dedupe uh, encryption, US, that type of thing. And uh, the, the flip side of this will be the vSphere administrator will actually go in and create a new, will create policies for the VMs. And so the policies actually need to be able to match the capabilities. And once, there, once the capabilities are met, uh, the SPVM will report they are in compliance and say that, hey, you have a, a good storage um, capability for the policies your VM requires. So uh, this is just covering a handful of things that the, um, the VBALS offloads that currently you would need to do through, uh, through vSphere and would end up being VMFS operations that would go over the wire. So the virtual machine provisioning and deletion, uh, clones, lint clones, snapshots, and uh, storage free motion. Uh, actually, one of the one of the things that we have been talking to VMware about is the possibility of getting rid of the idea of storage free motion um, between VBALs entirely and simply saying that this v, this VM that's currently in one storage container sits in a different storage container and not actually have to do any data movement at all. So we'll see what happens there. Um, but the, the other thing is that you can actually, the vSphere can actually tell vBALS um, to migrate from a VMF to vBALS. And uh, if the storage array is capable of doing that, it will do that without actually needing to, uh, to do data movement itself. Hey, Andy? Oh, yes. Uh, we have one question. If the VASA provider is unavailable, what functionality do you lose? Uh, can you still power on VMs, for example? Um, actually, that's one of my canned questions that I had later on, but I'll answer it now. So the, the answer is that you lose the ability to create, power on, migrate, uh, do a whole lot of other things with VMs. Uh, any VMs that are up and running, will continue to stay up and running. There's Their I.O. path is still stable, and they can do everything that they had been able to do. Um, 
because of this, VMware actually uh, provides some specs on how to handle uh, HA for your VASA provider. The idea is that you can actually have multiple VASA providers to uh, to handle the, the possibility that one VASA provider has failed. And uh, in a few slides, I'll actually get into how Solidify handles this. Cool. So we get VASA redundancy. Yeah, you, you get VASA provider redundancy. Uh, I did want to talk some snapshots a little bit since uh, snapshots are actually done in a very different way with Vault than they had been with VMFS. In VMFS, uh, vSphere would create what, what was um, what it was appeared as a snapshot file in the data directory. It actually was a review log that said, "Hey, here's all the things that have happened since this snapshot happened. Here's how you get to the the same state that you were previously." Um, the concept is very different now where you actually, uh, vSphere will actually tell VMware or tell the storage array it's time to take a snapshot and the method of taking that snapshot is entirely uh, dependent on the storage array. Uh, you can still do uh, QS backups if you're actually doing like a, a um, application consistent snapshot. Uh, that's still understood. Uh, and VMware is very big on making a distinction with uh, snapshots because there's two different types of snapshots with VVOLs. There's managed snapshots, and it would be snapshots you actually do through uh, vCenter or ESX where you have uh, vCenter tell the storage array, create a snapshot, and in this case, uh, VMware, or, I'm sorry, uh, VMware will know that there's that snapshot that exists on the storage array. Uh, contrast this with unmanaged snapshots. These are ones that the storage administrator can take and create a snapshot of a VVOL. And in this case, uh, the, the snapshots are something that the storage administrator can manage, but there's, unless you actually revert to one of them, there's not actually a way to uh, expose those to vSphere. Uh, this is just a, a very brief block diagram of uh, how SolidFire does this. Um, if you're not familiar with the SolidFire architecture at all, it's not going to make a whole lot of sense, but if you could touch on it a little. Uh, SolidFire is a, a cluster architecture where we have multiple nodes, and uh, each one of the nodes, it, the, there's shared nothing with the nodes, so uh, the nodes are pretty much independent. Um, we have what's uh, what's known as a cluster master, a thing called CM here in the center. It will be on an available node. And the cluster master itself actually maintains the VASA provider and some of the other management stuff that we do with the uh, protocol endpoints. So the idea here in this case is if the middle node actually went down, the cluster master would migrate to one of the other nodes and you would still have access to your process, your uh, VASA uh, provider and the ability to connect to the PEs, and uh, in this case, the um, the protocol endpoints are typically put somewhere where they have uh, optimal access to the vaults that they're talking to. Um, but in cases where they don't, the the protocol endpoints will actually talk across the nodes to get to the vault that they need to. <coughs> so uh, just this. Getting into the summary section, going through a list of the vSphere features that are uh, supported. Of course, SPPM, uh, so storage policy based management. 
that's not just supported, but it's required to make these goals work. Um, pin provisioning, uh, link clones, native snapshots, uh, all the protocols, uh, CBRC, um, vMotion, of course, works. Storage vMotion works as well, although uh, with storage vMotion, um, hopefully you won't need storage vMotion as much because you can simply actually, uh, move the, uh, the vBall or the VM uh, from one protocol endpoint to another and, and end up with uh, the balancing that you might need. Uh, ERS is available, uh, long distance vMotion. Uh, all of the vBall things will be supported through the vSphere uh, software development kit, so you can actually manage them without having to go through the GUI. Um, well, I don't know what that is. Uh, Horizon View, uh, all of the vRealize operation and automation still works, and uh, the statelessness and host profiles still work as well. Uh, so just a, a quick review of what the motivations were for vBalls. We separate out the storage management and the VMware management uh, to make use of existing protocols to uh, separate out the concept of data store from logical collections of storage. Uh, the use of available storage, this is both in terms of uh, capacity and, uh, and throughput. The idea that you don't actually need to uh, have your, your vSphere go out and write stuff to a VMFS to create a VM. You can actually just tell the uh, vBall's process provider to create a VM and it will be there. Um, left contention between ESX hosts, this is the VMFS contention that you get rid of. Uh, the idea is that you don't have, have any metadata that you need to maintain between multiple ESX hosts and therefore you uh, end up with less contention. Uh, Better use of the storage uh, network, uh, storage network bandwidth. If you don't need to storage vMotion as much stuff, if you don't need to go out and uh, you know zero fill a, a VMDK when you create a VM, uh, you don't end up eating up nearly as much storage bandwidth. So uh, the whole idea that VMware was trying to come up with here was that it should provide you better scalability that you can actually move hopefully provision more VMs on the same storage and uh, better control so you can actually see your individual VMs from the storage perspective rather than having to do manipulate everything through VMFS. And uh, I built this, I, I mentioned this already, but the motivations were the use of management, uh, use of existing uh, protocols, uh, more scalability, um, in both in terms of uh, capacity and, and bandwidth. Uh, so, um, Meatballs is actually uh, bought into by quite a few storage vendors at this point. Uh, you can see a, a quick view here, and this is not exhaustive. This is simply the, the big name players that are out there. And, uh, now it's open for, oh, uh, well, actually, um, how do we hear that some of the common questions? So, uh, as a storage administrator, you, um, you might actually have to configure your bottom provider to DHA 
some storage vendors actually run the bus provider as a VM, so you would need to actually deploy the VM and have it uh, manage the bus provider. From solid fire perspective, uh, all you need to do is tell the cluster that you're going to be using VVOLs, and the bus provider will start up. Um, a storage, ven uh, storage administrator might also have to create protocol endpoints on the storage array. Uh, I'll mention once again that solid fire, the, the idea is that if you turn on VVOLs, uh, the protocol endpoints will be populated and uh, increased and decreased as need requires. And I already answered what happens when we uh, Running without a bus provider. So, questions? I'm not seeing any others right now. Nope, let me check Twitter. Nope, no other questions right now. That was awesome, Andy. Great information. Good. Good. Uh, Alright, so uh, thanks so much to everyone who came to join us tonight and to those who are downloading it uh, in the future. Uh, thanks to you, Andy, again, Andy Banta at Andy Banta, and uh, we'll see you next week. Okay, and uh, you can also contact me by mailing me at banta at solidfire.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks, Lauren. All right.